Good morning. Um, thankful to be here with you all. Thankful to be still in this series talking about discipleship. Really thankful for what Pat just said about just this is not just a me thing. This is not just a church thing, but this is a Jesus thing, right? Discipleship matters, right? Thank you. Discipleship matters, right? It absolutely does matter. And we've been in this series uh, for one week. This is the second week talking about discipleship. But I want this to be on your hearts and your minds as we continue on, as we lead towards this discipleship seminar. Uh, but to kind of catch you up on what we talked about last week, we talked about one of the greatest key tools that a disciple maker has is the power of awareness. We talked about the awareness of yourself, your own spiritual needs. What do you need at this time? Where do you need to grow in your life? We talked about the importance of awareness in the lives of other people. You will not be able to speak into other people's lives if you are unaware of what they're going through, if you're just oblivious or blind. And the last thing we talked about last week was just this idea of awareness that discipleship is a journey. It's not a single Bible study or a single prayer. It is a journey that you and the other person are taking together with the power of Christ behind you. And not just the power of Christ. When you read the Great Commission talking about go and baptize, at the very last thing that Jesus says is, I will be with you always. Right? As you go, Jesus is with you in the going. And the awareness is super, super important. But today we're going to change gears a little bit and talk about ourselves. So for the next few minutes, I want you to talk to your neighbor for a second. I want you to express to them everything that you hate about yourself. I'm going to give you guys, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. Um, but we laugh about that because I guarantee you, if you had the forum and the time, you could share with the person next to you all the things that you don't really like about yourself. Right? We have some pretty irrational things we don't like about ourselves, whether it be the way that we look, the way that we talk, the way that we do certain things. When I was in middle school slash high school, you guys have seen the pictures, I had hair past my shoulders. I don't have any hair now. But when I was in middle school and high school, I thought that me having long hair would make people not see my weird ears or my weird forehead. I had all these things in my mind that were weird about me that I felt like my hair would cover up. Didn't work, okay? The hair did not help me look less weird, is what I'm saying. Okay, sorry. forgot to do this earlier. We good? I'm buzzing. We good? Okay. But honestly, though, we have these things in our lives that we struggle with. The things that we don't like about ourselves and the things that we wish that were different. And we struggle with them. We, we have these irrational, maybe sometimes rational things. But the thing is, is that uh, we have this thing that we, I'm going to refer to as this inner critic in our lives. Where the inner critic will tell us that we are not the, the person that we ought to be. The inner critic will tell you that you shouldn't get up there and say those things because you know how bad you actually are, right? The inner critic is a demon, right? It is a key tool of Satan. So I don't want you to necessarily... Uh, all right, Chuck, it's on you today, brother. I want you to ask this question to yourself and think, has your inner critic ever stopped you from doing something? Probably. Right, whatever that might be. I'm thinking of some hobbies that I do. Um, I picked up, I was, when I was younger, I used to surf a lot. And as an adult, I've kind of gotten back into that world. I really enjoy it. I'm not great. I have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but I had some friends come visit me recently, and we had talked about, hey, man, you need to get out there and try surfing. And he was all about it. And then we got to the beach, and guess what? He didn't want to do it anymore because there's people there. 
And he's like, oh, man, I don't know. I got, I got to watch after my kids. I'm like, no, no, no. The kids are going to be fine. My wife's up there. Your wife's up there. They're fine. Come on out with me. He's like, no, no, I don't, I'm probably going to fall down. Yeah, you're going to fall down. But it's okay. Right? His inner critic was speaking up and saying, you don't want to look silly or foolish in this moment because that's what's important to you right now. Right? And, and eventually I was able to convince him, hey, man, everybody's bad when they first start out. You're going to be bad too, and that's going to be okay. And eventually he conquered that inner critic voice, and he allowed himself to try something new, and he had a lot of fun. And we got him standing up day one. A lot of fun. And I want to say that there's these things that kind of stop us from it. Not just the inner critic, but there's sometimes there's actual gatekeepers in our lives that say, oh, no, 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 you can't inhabit this space because this is my space. It, not my space, but this is my space, right? This is where I function. You can't function here. I hate gatekeepers that are like that, right? The people who are saying that if you're not excellent when you first start, don't even try. That's just not cool. We have these inner critics. We have these gatekeepers. We have all these things that want to stop us from doing the things that we want to do, hobbies that might, might excite us. But the fact of the matter is, it's not just hobbies that we're stopping from doing, right? Sometimes it's much more devious than that. Sometimes it's really things that we ought to be doing. I'm still buzzing in my eye. I apologize. There we go. Okay. It's not just the hobbies that, that, that stop us from doing something. It's sometimes, I think it goes in an, another a deeper deceiving way where I talked about that this inner critic, this gatekeeper mentality, this whatever it might be is a key tool for Satan to make you not be so bold for Jesus. Your inner critic is the, is the wet towel, the wet blanket that stops you from doing what Jesus is calling to you. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is what I've heard so many times, maybe not exactly this way, but some form of this. How could I ever talk to someone about my faith when I struggle with blank? Have you ever heard this? Don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever heard this? You ever thought this? Absolutely. And I think there's some validity to this because sometimes we don't want to speak out of the side of our mouth when we are struggling with something. But the thing is, is that we all struggle, right? We all have difficulties. We all struggle with certain sins in our lives. You are not unique when you think this. Because it is true we are flawed. It is true that we are far from what God is calling us to be. But the thing is, is that we are still called through the midst of our flaws. Actually, it's our flaws that make our calling that much more significant and special sometimes. Go to the next slide here. I think this is absolutely true. If awareness, what we talked about last, last week, if awareness is key to making disciples for Jesus, our inner critic is key to never make disciples for Jesus. Our inner critic likes to spin webs of what reality is when it's actually not that at all. Our inner critic wants us to make us feel a certain way about ourselves when Jesus is trying to scream at us and say, I don't care about all that. I can even use that for my glory. But our inner critic is key to never make disciples for Jesus. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today talking about this duality. Because that's what it is. We are flawed disciples searching after a flawless Jesus to emulate his actions. But nevertheless, we are always going to be flawed this side of the earth. And I get it, Jimmy. You could say, oh man, like... We might be flawed, but when Jesus sees us, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. That's true. But the fact of the matter is, we are going to be flawed as long as we are on this earth. 
There's something to be said there. There's something to wrestle with. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide here in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9b. It says this. He boasted that he was someone great, talking about Simon, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. And I want to pause for a second right now. We're not going to get into the weeds of what this actually looks like, okay? This might be a topic for another Bible class that Pat can teach you guys. Uh, I'm not going to get into that this morning because the fact of the matter is, it's not necessarily important to tell us about who Simon was. Okay, Simon was in this town, and whatever he was doing was amazing people, right? And I think we can imply some of these things are so amazing that they might have been kind of similar to the things that Jesus was doing, right? He might have been doing these things, but it wasn't coming from God. I think we can imply that these, this sorcery or this magic or however you want to talk about it was coming from a more devious place, maybe even Satan himself. But Simon was doing these things, and the thing that I want us to take away from it is that people were following Simon and were excited about what Simon was doing because they believed that he was connected to God. Next slide. But then this happens, which is really awesome. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and then this happens. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So we have this prominent person in the area who has a small following, maybe even a large following of himself, who are attributing these things to God. But when they come to the reality of what God is actually all about, everything changes. Not only does his cohort of followers start following Jesus, but the man himself, Simon the sorcerer, becomes this devout follower of Jesus. He's, he's baptized, and he believes all that Philip is saying about Jesus, and he won't leave his side. That's pretty remarkable. It's pretty remarkable. This is one of those stories that I wish I could tell more about in my life, where we take a, a, a prominent figure, and all those people, they come together and believe all together like that. That is, that is truly fascinating. But let's go to the next slide and see how the story continues. So all this takes place, and then this happens in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit had given them, the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money and said, Give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands can receive the Holy Spirit. Next slide. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you have thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray, that the Lord, pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. All right. This is the part that stresses me out a little bit. Because before we have this great conversion story where this guy who is far from Jesus, maybe even connected to the powers of Satan himself, is interacting with Jesus. He is baptized and he believes and his entire life changes. And then he's following around Philip and then this conversation happens and I'm like, man, stop. 
Stop at whatever's taking place, right? Um, I've heard people talk about Simon in really negative ways. They say, oh, from the beginning, he was wanting to have a following and a reputation like the apostles. Maybe he was just concerned with the miracles that he saw the apostles doing, and he just wanted to get some of that, so he was faking it, right? I don't want to see it that way. I want to see Simon the sorcerer now as Simon the brother in Christ who was not baptized in a vacuum. Do you see what I, what I say when I'm saying that? He was not baptized, and then his entire life from prior to that day was gone. Right? It wasn't a clean sweep. Once you're baptized, it wasn't like everything that happened to you prior to that is gone. Simon's a guy who has a past, who had a very, very interesting past, and that past is still part of his story. I want to see Simon the sorcerer as Simon the seeker of truth. He is converted, but he still has a past. And this is where um, I want, in my opinion, if I was there, I, I wish I could have been there and said, Peter, could you just relax for a second? Please relax for a second because you have no idea where this man came from. I'm kind of like, Philip, where are you at, man? He's been with you every single day. Couldn't you have just met, maybe met Peter and John before they got there and said, hey, let me tell you a little bit about this guy, Simon. He's been doing some crazy stuff, but now he believes in Jesus, but you got to be a little bit tender with him, a little soft with him. But Peter's like, no, I'm going to be Peter to this guy. And, and, and the Jimmy part of me is saying, man, could you have been a little bit kinder to Simon the truth seeker at this time, rather than see him as Simon the sorcerer who's trying to be manipulative and by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying what Peter did is wrong, but I have some receipts on Peter. And we all have receipts on Peter. Because it's very interesting to me that Peter is the guy who's saying all these things to Simon the truth seeker. Go to the next slide. This is Peter himself, okay? One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, had challenged him. Didn't I see you in the garden? Peter again denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to grow. Aren't you the same guy, Peter, who denied Jesus three times? We remember that. Go ahead and go to the next slide here. In Mark chapter 10, we didn't forget about you, John, either. Okay, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to be for us, whatever we ask. What do you want for me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. It sounds an awful lot like John is wanting to have a prominent place in heaven, doesn't it? You can, go, you can stay of that back when I didn't include this one, but remember when Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up for the transfiguration, and when Peter sees these figures appear, he's like, can we build houses and stay here forever? I remember these things, Peter. We all remember these things, Peter. So what gives you, Peter, the right to go to Simon the truth seeker now, right, that I'm calling him, I'm trying to reclaim Simon here. What gives you the right to say, you have no part of this because you're trying to buy the Holy Spirit? Didn't you have a flawed understanding at one time too? Over and over and over again? Wasn't it after Jesus' death? You weren't even at the cross, man. Where were you? You can go to the next slide now. One more. Thank you. To me, when I look at Acts chapter 8 and I see this whole conversation, I land here. That this is two flawed people seeking Jesus together. Because I guarantee you, Peter has not forgotten those things, right? 
Peter was not converted in a vacuum either. He has all that history with Jesus in his mind, probably more so than anybody else. I guarantee you there are people in Peter's life who probably bring these things up to him all the time. Remember, Peter, when you were an idiot all the time? Right? But what I think is significant, and like I said before, I don't think Peter was wrong to talk to Simon this way. But I think it kind of exemplifies this in a very, very vibrant way. That when we are discipling people for the name of Jesus, we are two flawed people coming together to search after a flawless Savior. Because we can really look at it from two sides. If we look at it from Simon's side, you know, you aren't necessarily doing sorcery, but I guarantee that his past did not disappear after his baptism. And, and for us, I think the same is true for us too. Like when we're baptized, it's not like everything gets all of a sudden easier. In fact, it might get a lot more difficult. Right? When, when Paul talks in Romans 7 about the law, he says the law illuminated sin in my life. And so I love the law, but the law kind of made me sin more and more because I was more aware of the sins in my life. For a guy like Simon and for people like us, when we're baptized, those sins don't go away. In fact, they, they should maybe convict you a little bit more now that you know who Jesus is. We are still flawed people, but we are searching after a flawless Savior. So from Simon the sorcerer or Simon the truth seeker's side, he wasn't baptized in a vacuum. But I look at it also from, from Peter's side because he himself is super flawed. He's going to make more flaws here in the rest of the book of Acts too. Paul's going to hold him accountable to that. Peter is definitely not wrong, but the thing is that's different about Peter is that he's speaking from a place of knowledge because he deeply and intimately knows the grace of God in his own life. So when Peter is speaking to Simon, he's not saying, you need to be held to my standard. He's saying, no, you need to understand God's standard. Those are two different things. It's not that Peter is saying, live up to my expectations. He's saying, no, there's a higher calling that we're being called to. And guess what? Peter's not addressing him as an outsider anymore. Actually, Peter is addressing him as a brother in Christ. I really think I'm kind of giving him a hard time a little bit, but I think he sees him as someone who has opened his heart up to Christ, has accepted Jesus in baptism, and he's saying, hey, do better, man, because I know you know better. I know you've been hanging out with Philip. You haven't left his side. Philip's told me a little bit about that, and I know you know better. You need to live up to that expectation. And it's not Peter putting himself in a place of power saying, live up to my expectation. He's saying, no, you know God's expectations. Live up to those. But I love Peter's boldness because even though we are flawed people, we are still called to call people out to live better for Jesus, especially our brothers and sisters. Now, I want to be careful, too. Just because we're flawed doesn't mean you are exempt from disciple-making. But don't hear Jimmy say that you need to go around and be judgmental and hypocritical the rest of your life. Okay, I'm not saying that. A lot of times the church gets a bad rap for being full of a bunch of hypocrites who call people out for doing certain things. I don't want us to be about that. I want us to be a people who understand what grace and mercy is and that while we have those types of conversations, they're filled with grace and mercy, but yet we are calling each other to a higher standard of living. We are calling each other, even though I'm flawed, even though you're flawed, we are all searching towards a flawless Savior, right? So all this is true, but 
my inner critic is still speaking up. Jimmy, don't say anything to that person because you know you struggle too. Jimmy, what makes you so special that you could even speak into that person's life? And I know we talked about it at the beginning, but I guarantee you that same narrative is being spoken into so many of our minds at this very moment. I get it, Jimmy can say those things, but not me. Guys, I don't know how much more clear I can put it to you after all these sermons I've told you about all my failures and mistakes. I am so flawed, and so are you. I am not unique, and neither are you in that respect. But like I said at the very beginning, our flaws are what makes the story of Jesus so exciting, the greatest story ever told. Because it's through our flaws that we're able to show other people what Jesus is like. So I have a question for us as we kind of wrap up this morning. If you want to go to the next slide here. I think it all comes to this. How can we move past our inner critic towards accepting the call to make disciples? Because like I said last week, it's not an option. If you are a follower of Christ, you are inherently a disciple maker. But how can we get past the inner critic? How can we get past the noise and move towards the call of making disciples? The first thing is this, and the next slide, is that we have to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to do the work to recognize, where am I holding myself accountable that's just myself? I had lunch with Pat this past week, and he's a good person I can kind of talk to when I kind of bring my inner critic to light a little bit, and he just sets me straight. My wife is another person that sets me straight. You're spinning, you're spiraling, Jimmy. Come back to earth a little bit. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of us aren't having those conversations. A lot of us are keeping those inner critic thoughts wrapped up in our heads, and guess where they will always stay if you don't talk about them? In your head. If you're not talking, you're not doing the work. And if you're not talking, you're not doing the work, and you're definitely not going to be bold for the sake of Jesus. If you keep having this narrative, I can't share Jesus because of this in my life. You have to be willing to do the work. The second thing is this, and this might be the most important part. Overcome the what ifs of discipleship. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? They're going to, hopefully. But that question can lead you to deeper understanding. What if they call me out for the things that I'm doing in my life? Good. Because maybe you should do better in those areas. But there's also a reverse side. What if you don't say anything at all? What if there's somebody in your life right now that you are the only person that can actually speak truth to them in their life, in their scenarios, in their their lives? What if you are the only person that they can connect with about this topic? They got nobody else except for you. What if you said nothing? That's unfortunate. The opposite is more, you know, detrimental than the what-ifs of the the non-reality in your head, right? Because the truth is, if, if you don't say anything, then who knows if they'll ever hear the word. And if you're stopping yourself from doing something because you're afraid of, I'm not good enough, or what if this happens, then you are standing in the way of the gospel continuing to go. I've said this before, but it's crazy the fact that we're sitting here in 2023 in Central Florida with all these different race, ethnicities, genders, all these different things that are happening at this very moment in 2023, talking about a Messiah that happened a long time ago, that walked this earth a long time ago, but it's because people said this word has to get out. This word has to go. There was no what ifs. It's a I must do this. 
So if you're struggling with this, I want to say you're not unique in that struggle. But I'm not saying you're not unique in a bad way. I'm saying there are people here that are willing to talk with you and help you along the way. Do not allow your inner critic to stop you from being bold for the case of Christ. Let's pray. And I thank you for this day. I thank you for the example uh, of Simon the sorcerer and Simon Peter. The irony is not lost on me that there's like a mirror being placed in front of Simon Peter. Like he messed up so many times and I guarantee messed up so many more times. But the fact is that Peter understood grace and he was extending this, this, uh, this standard for Simon to live to. But God, at the end of the day, we have two flawed people seeking after an unflawed, a flawless Savior. And we are in the same boat. Nothing has changed all that much. God, help us to strive towards leaning into this. Help us to do the work. Help us to recognize that what ifs stand in the way of doing your work. And just don't let us allow those things to stop us anymore. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. So this is the part where we do offer an invitation. If you're struggling with this and you say, you know what, I've never really actually tried before and I want to learn how to try, we got plenty of resources available. We have elders who are excited about this, deacons who are excited about this, everybody else, a lot of people in this room who are excited about this exact thing. But if there are things getting in your way to being an efficient disciple maker, we want to help you. Won't you come while we stand and sing?